Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, agency owners. As someone that's run Google Ads for my own business, as well as on behalf of my clients, I know how time-consuming it can be to constantly be monitoring and optimizing those ads. I've got good news for you. There's a new tool called Optio that monitors your accounts for statistically significant patterns and suggests improvements that can push live to Google Ads in just a few seconds. Improvements help you manage keywords, test ads, and optimize bids. Get your time back. Let the machines do the heavy lifting. Check out optio.com slash yougurus and get started with a six-week extended free trial. That's optio.com slash yougurus. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver, and today I am hanging out with Om Suthar, who has designed products, apps, and services internationally, published over 10 patents, and is now working to help others build their physical, financial, and emotional well-being with his app called Squirrel. Welcome to the program, Om. Hey, thanks for having me. So, Om, uh, let's talk first about, real quick, just paint me a picture of of what your company is today, and then we're going to kind of go back in time and talk a little bit about how you got into being an entrepreneur. So, So, what's Squirrel all about? Yeah. So, if you're anything like me, you've probably not had a chance to work out, meditate, and check your finances in every day. <laughs> and if you get into this pattern of guilting yourself into you know, uh, what you didn't do and shaming yourself, it can have an adverse effect on you over time. So I built Squirrel to really help in bite size, help people get physically more active, build up financial resilience. And what that means is just build up a savings habit and become more mindful of their emotions in, in a way that's simple and easy to do every day, it takes like less than 30 seconds to do. And, it, and it's pretty gratifying uh, as, you, as you do it more. So give me, I, I've, I've gone through your app a little bit, but give us, give our, our listeners just a quick uh, example of a workflow or kind of an experience that they would expect uh, with, with what you've built. Cool. Yeah. So you'd start every day by um, like eight o'clock in the morning, you'd get a notification to journal your one thing you're grateful for in the morning and how it makes you feel you'd pick an emoji and type in less than 90 uh, 90 characters and then so not even a tweet not even a tweet not even like one sentence yeah (laughs) so it's 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 really about like what's first thing on your mind what's making you happy and then really what it does is over time you start making happiness your way of being uh, rather than you know being a, a victim to the circumstantial nature of like the environment you're in and things like that, and then the then the app uh, connects to Apple Health or Google Fit, depending on which platform you're on, and it tracks the steps that you naturally take each day. There's something called uh, an acronym called NEAT. It stands for Non-Exercise Activity Thermogenics. Basically, the energy that you burn just as you go about your day. And, and we track that in the uh, metric of steps, but it also shows kilowatt calories. And we motivate you to stay physically active. And, and finally, you can um, connect that uh, physical steps to a savings habit. So imagine setting aside a dollar for yourself for every thousand steps you take. And over the course of a year, you can save actually a thousand dollars for yourself, which 60% of Americans don't have. 
And so as it achieves these goals, you have set up your app in a way where it actually can connect to a bank account and say, move this money from here to here. Yeah, it's your own checking account to your own savings account. So um, it's really, it's it's never moving funds outside of your own financial ecosystem. You're just building a saving hab- uh, savings habit for yourself. And then at the end of each day, you'll journal one thing you have accomplished and how that makes you feel. And every morning, the next morning, you'll wake up and you'll see a review of how your day went or at the end of the week, how your week went or at the end of the month, how your month went. And you'll get to see exactly how how you're doing. Oh, um, I, I love the app and uh, we'll probably come back to talk more about what you've built because I think it's really cool and it's simple and it is focused around habits, which I think is uh, a great place for most people to to really focus their energy in terms of personal development, personal well-being is is on building better habits, which is, is, is one of the reasons we asked uh, you to be on, on our show. I do want to talk about a couple other things today, though. I want to talk about how you you really got into being an entrepreneur yourself, and then and then we'll kind of work our way towards uh, actually building and launching your app. Because I know a lot of our listeners either might be building apps to their clients, or maybe they even have thought about their own app to build uh, to help their clients succeed, or to launch uh, some kind of product or productized service in the marketplace. And so I want to get into some of that stuff. Um, but but take us back in time. What what got you first started? As, as an entrepreneur is, is squirrel your first, uh, venture into this world or, or did you have other, other ventures? I, I am a first time founder. Um, so the squirrel is definitely my first, uh, first venture into entrepreneurship, but, um, going back in time, my family owned, uh, two computer stores where we'd fix computers back when that was a thing. So I've always grown around, uh, grown up around a small business throughout my life. I studied automotive design actually of all things. And so I've designed an electric scooter for inner city women in, in India. Um, I've designed a lot of various products for transport, um, consumer electronics, spent a lot of my time in hardware. And then I started realizing that with the emergence of the iPhone and the App Store, a lot of the problems that were taking us 18 months to develop and manufacture and get out there uh, could be done a lot faster with software. So uh, I really got interested in UX design, started my way as a UX designer. I've done a lot of um, like uh, products for everything from like a street car fare system in Toronto to kind of uh, bring your own device experience for AT&T when you connect a tablet to a 4T LTE uh, connection in a car, uh, things like that for large companies. And, and were you doing this UX design uh, as your own thing or were you, you working within a, a larger company? No, no. I was. These were all things working in a larger company. Uh, I even worked for... My last foray was working for a large uh, financial institution and scaling a program that helped people talk to life coaches about their financial stress uh, nationwide. And that's where I really became passionate about this, my own perspective on things that I was seeing and my own proficiency that I built up in design and uh, manufacturing and development that made me think, hmm, maybe I have a shot. Maybe I can figure out this product market fit thing. And let me see how far I can stretch my capabilities uh, in exploring that. So you get this idea to launch an app and you're working at a company doing UX design at some level, right? Yep. Was this something that you then started on while still kind of working your main thing? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, um, uh, it's uh, the majority of the entrepreneurial journey has happened while I was working full time. In fact, on a personal level, while we were having our first kid, 
uh, I was waiting in the, uh, in the room, waiting in the delivery room for us to get called in. I was, I was deploying a, a UX prototype uh, for user testing to see if uh, we could, I could push some improvements for a squirrel. Uh, and so, I mean, before I even started with the app, though, because I'm a designer, I started with the problem, right? And so I really started with this idea of would people want to even connect their habits in, in this way where you connect your steps to savings or something like that. So what I did was I got 40 of my friends uh, for a month. I allowed them, they allowed me to harass them uh, for screenshots of their steps every evening. And then in the morning I would text them with the phone number they didn't know I had pretending to be the app, learning about like what kind of things can I say to motivate people or give them information about what they're doing and how are they progressing. Wait, so you were texting them as the quote unquote app Yep. <laughs> but there was no app. There was no app. <laughs> oh, um, you're like, you're, you're taking the fast train to my heart, man. This is like, <laughs> like minimum viable product, like in, in, totally. in the flesh and blood. Right. I think that it's, yep. you know, in, in getting to that testing a core hypothesis and not getting distracted with the shiny, shiny, which the shiny, shiny is, you know, building the screens and building the functionality and the features. And, and you, you kind of got it down to the essential of, you know, is this useful? You know, is this something that just this core idea of tracking our steps and then getting some kind of a, a, a notification or encouragement or something, right? Whatever your initial test was, you know, you really got it down to that and said, look, how can I, test this in a way that doesn't require screens and apps and app store approvals and, and whatever. Yeah, exactly. And um, I just wanted to get to the core of it. And what I learned immediately from that was there are three layers of messaging I could do. It all had to be non-judgmental because we're plenty good at shaming ourselves. But so if it was less than 3000 steps, I would be, I would, I'd be encouraging. Uh, if it was more than 5,000 steps, I would recognize that you've been active. And then if it was anything above 7,000 uh, 7, steps, I would be rewarding in the tone and language that I used. And, uh, and that, was, that was all that I learned just within three weeks of you know, building out this test. So you, you mentioned that uh, you know, people are good, good enough at shaming themselves. Was that something mm-hmm. you learned or you kind of knew going into it that you didn't want to shame anybody? Or did you actually kind of accidentally shame people and then like not get a good result? No, no. Actually, I, I, I learned a lot of this firsthand. Um, if you look at the Apple Watch and like, you know, the messaging that you get, it we're so like used to this, we don't even like think about it. So it's kind of like, you know, that cliche thing of like whenever like a user experience doesn't go right and you're, somebody says very, you know, condescendingly about themselves, they're like, uh, oh yeah, I'm not smart enough to use this. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually like, well, why are they shaming themselves? It's actually the experiences not smart enough to recognize your your mindset. So if you look at the Apple Watch, you know, it starts with a message every day. If you didn't move a lot, it says like, it, it, does, it doesn't acknowledge what you did at all. It just starts with make it happen today. And every day is the same exact same message. Uh, so it's kind of funny how like technology shames us into this corner and we like totally accept it. Mm, interesting. So you, you, you have these 40 people... I just imagine in my head, you literally like running this off of a spreadsheet or something. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and you're, you know, they're, they're sending you screenshots. You're getting, you know, you're either doing it or having somebody transfer that into, into just numbers. And then you're firing off messages to these people. And then, uh, I mean, what, what next, right? I mean, that's obviously not an app, but you're learning, which is good. Yep. 
Yep. Uh, so then the next step was to send out a survey, kind of, you know, initial impressions, like how, how did this make you feel? If this was an app, would you, would you use it? And then I, I, out of 40 people, they're like, uh, oh man, I think 35 of them were like, yeah, absolutely make this app. Uh, I'll download it. So then we, in three months, we made an app just working part-time on it. Uh, that basically showed you potential savings and your steps. And so, the minute so in we your, launched, in your MVP, did you, had you tied in something on the savings or you just text message them? Like you should transfer money from your checking to your savings because you walked this many steps. Exactly. We just had push notifications and it's a one, one page dashboard that just basically, basically showed you a ring for your steps that you were taking, that we were reading from Apple health and then how that correlated to uh, how much you should be potentially saving. And 10 out of the 50 users that we had then with, with this simple test flight were like, I wish this would move funds for me. Mm. So we were like, huh, okay, that might be a feature that, that could be valuable. And that's what we built next. Hmm. So you ended up building the app in three, in three months. Yep. Um, the first version was in three months. Then the next version was a lot tougher because we had to connect with secure bank APIs, uh, Plaid and Dwala. So Plaid does the instant bank authentication and Dwala does the money movement. Uh, and then we had to build some business rules around it. Like how frequently should it move funds? And, you know, so that was really about like 30 bucks is a lot more digestible as a savings amount than 120 bucks, even though at the end of the month, it's the same amount. So kind of like the psychology of saving and making things miniaturized and bite-sized was really core and essential to kind of the, the values of, of this app. So it took us another six months to build that version part-time again. And we launched that in November of last year, right around Thanksgiving. So, so the more they walk, you're rewarding them with another positive encouragement, which is to save. Like, why does my That's mind go that it should work the opposite? <laughs> they don't walk. We're going to take away money from them or something. <laughs> totally. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways to cut at this. And, you know, there's a goal set, a mi- mindset, and then there's a values-based mindset. A values-based mindset is really after like the type of lifestyle that you're trying to live. Stereotypically, this is a lot more what you would see in like the West Coast, right? Goals-oriented is like, I want to save this much amount for this vacation and I've got a number I want to hit. I want to have a number of steps I want to hit or something like that. That's a lot more of like uh, the traditional lifestyle that we see maybe a little bit more prevalent on the East Coast. So what I wanted to do was to be able to throttle between both Mm. and... Uh, as we've learned, we've realized that, you know, this is definitely not for everyone. This is not for the people that have like a spreadsheet for their life. They have really like high functioning type A's but that are already making it to the gym. It's not going to help them. This is for the people that are like three out of four Americans that are going to be pre-diabetic. And I actually have a customer story that kind of stuck out for me with this was, it was a, it was a dad that was about... Not, not ready for retirement by any means, but like 50 years old or so. I had two daughters, uh, had to pay for their weddings, had to pay for their college. And then he's pre-diabetic. And the time that he spends with his wife after dinner, taking a walk is really sacred because they both need to kind of make sure they, they work out or you know, spend a little bit of time um, uh, and getting, their, getting in physical activity. 
it's the time that they talk, the time that they reflect. They don't have enough money saved up, but that's an uncomfortable topic to talk about. But the first step that they need to get to is just feeling okay about who they are and where they're at. And that can incur other positive things to happen. And that's really where our app is most successful. It's kind of like a gateway thing into well-being. It's not supposed to be the end tool, but I hope it's the first tool that helps uh, with people discover uh, to help people discover their own physical, emotional, and financial literacy with a, with a bias towards action rather than me me telling you. It's a lot more effective when you use the app and you see it. See, like you know, in two weeks, like oh, I could have already saved a hundred bucks just moving three thousand steps a day or something like that. That's amazing. Did you realize this kind of clarity around who it's for and who it's not for? when you were setting out on this or is it something that you've kind of learned through the MVP process through iteration? Um, there's been a lot of iteration. There's been a lot of staying connected with my customer base throughout the process. Um, sending surveys, talking to people, uh, even about the idea when they're not customers and just understanding their journey. I have to say a little bit of what I was doing in my full-time job also kind of leaked in and inspired me with this was that, you know, every, Industry tries to solve for its own industry, but our problems don't respect industry silos. We're very um, fluid people, right? So uh, a physical problem isn't just a physical problem. Your physical well-being can affect your financial well-being. Your financial well-being can definitely affect your emotional well-being. And all of these things need to be solved together in, in bite sizes rather than you know, it typically like what the financial industry says, oh, you don't have a savings habit? Start a 401k. <laughs> and you're thinking, wait, we just did a huge leap and I don't understand this. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners? Are you a web agency or freelance web designer that's trying to add recurring revenue profits by offering your clients SEO services? Well, I've got good news for you. There's a new service that is basically the design pickle for white label SEO. Their team hooks you up with unlimited SEO tasks for one monthly fee. You got to check them out at seobrothers.co forward slash you gurus. They're giving our listeners 50% off their first month and an awesome money back guarantee. That's seobrothers.co forward slash you gurus. All right, let's get back to our interview. So I want to kind of get back to the process of building your product and building your app because I think that's where our audience as agency owners, whether they're doing this for their clients, can, can glean insights or whether they've been kind of noodling on this for, the, for themselves, whether they're an app development company or not. Because obviously you are a UX designer, but you're not necessarily an app developer. So you had to figure out some stuff, how to actually build the app. Yeah. But let's say you, you built your MVP and, and then what, right? I mean, then it was just super successful, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, I wish. No, it wasn't. It wasn't that way at all. Um, there was a lot of tremendous learnings. You know, uh, it's not enough to build an app, uh, marketing it, reaching out to your audience, advertising, marketing is a whole nother skill set that is absolutely foreign to me. And I, I totally undermined or was un, un, unprepared for. How do you get this? Once you made something, how do you get it into the hands of someone? And, and I have to say my biggest learning with MVP, it, it's huge, is first of all, it used to be the case that an MVP meant like minimum viable product. and and you can just put in people's hands and then like investors come and it's done. <laughs> that is not the environment we live in, especially as a first time founder. Uh, that is not in San Francisco. 
we we live in an environment where you have to have network effects built into the MVP. Uh, you have to have something that helps people generate content, build work word, word of mouth, or have an exponential value in uh, how it grows and how people find it within the MVP itself. And that's a huge shift in the definition, my under, my own understanding of, of MVP as we know it. So, so can you just, I know you mentioned a couple of things that are related to network effects. So what do you mean by that? So you can't just have the product. You actually have to have some real world market validation. People have to be using this thing and there has to be other proof points, not just users that things are actually kind of taking off before investors or VCs will look at this. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like um, there's got to be something share worthy or noteworthy about it that compels a user to share it or like get the word out, right? That is beyond just the definition of like core functioning uh, <laughs> scope. And sometimes it's really well integrated. Sometimes it's it's and it's it's additional feature, but you really have to think through the discoverability and the almost like the wow ability of your app being a part of that MVP core product. And that's just not, that was not something at the time that I knew. Did you actually go out and get investment in your app once you had this out there? Yeah, I think we did a meager friends and family round um, to help us. And there was definitely a lot of validation, but what was unclear was, is this a feature or is this a product? And that was really something that, I'm being vulnerable here, uh, really, really dug at me for quite some time. In terms of people from your, that were thinking about investing, you know, is this a feature of some other app that should, should already be out there or is this its own kind of standalone business? Is there a business behind this thing? Exactly. It, it, it's, it was, so, so you've got to understand the, the environment of people that are VCs that all want to invest in this are your type A's they will not see value in something like this. And they will think of themselves as the customer uh, quite mm. often. Not, not always, but quite often. So from a marketability standpoint, I never built this for VCs. I built this because I, I had a problem that I was trying to solve. And, and so there's a disparity there. And the other part was, and this is a really good argument, is, well, how is this different from like an automagical savings feature that I already have with my bank? And the biggest, the only answer I had to that was, well, because there was a tangible effort behind the savings, there's a, there's a less likelihood that you would pull the savings out because you would probably recant like, oh, how much I had to work for that 50 bucks that I just saved there. Mm. So you think twice, but they're right. Like, is, is it really a, is it really a feature or a product? And that's the, the next metamorphosis that really, that catharsis really drove the next metamorphosis in our business. Can you, can you expand on more, more about what that is or what that was? Yeah. So, um, like, uh, like I told you, um, you know, when we initially connected was it's never been easier to build an app, but it's never been harder to market it. There's like millions and millions of apps out there. Right. So, um, keyword searches and doing all the things that everyone else does is great. Like it'll get you only so far launching on product hunt. Absolutely amazing. But then what do you do about churn? What do you do about getting new daily active users. And there's kind of like this unsaid rule that you basically use Facebook ads and paid advertising to drive your volume of users. But then that becomes kind of like an, uh, an opioid of uh, app marketing. And the, because the minute you let go of that, boom, like all of your 
user acquisition and growth disappears. Mm. So I was, what I was really missing was what is my distribution model? How do I reach people? And that's when we realized that we need to test if this could be of value at the workplace, because that's the one place that like 80% of Americans go. And guess what? Every person that I talked to and I asked, Hey, do you have a wellness plan at work? They're like, I got an email about something. And then they just, everyone does this like a squinty eye thing. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, there's, there's clearly a problem here. And my biggest learning there then was wellness is a reactive program in, in that, which I mean is um, it's a remediation or management program. You have diabetes, use this wellness program to manage your insulin intake, your sugar intake, report on these things. But there was no such thing as a well-being program, not a meaningful one at least. And the other big problem was, was it only 33% of small businesses have a wellness program, yet they make up 48% of the workforce. So that's half the workforce. And I could say about 66 million Americans that don't have any uh, wellness program, forget well-being. And so that's what I really wanted to uh, see if I could connect was, is there a value for an employer to use an app like this to start making a change in the workplace and what what, what actual tangible metrics and values can I provide for the ROI on it? And that's been the journey uh, for us for the last five, five, six months where we've actually been piloting a program with uh, three small, small businesses locally, each very different, figuring out exactly what kind of data we can uh, provide them that, that is valuable. Mm. For some reason now, I'm starting to think to myself, you know, how, how does this, how does the physical well-being tie to potential financial retirement stuff, uh, you know, whatever, right? 401k, simple IRA stuff that businesses are doing for their employees anyways. Uh, it, it seems like you're, you're probably on to something and, uh, and, and that's cool. And I think what, what's inspiring about this, um, is the, that the, you know, the journey with an app like this doesn't, you know, does not end with launching the MVP. Uh, best case no. scenario, you're at the beginning of the beginning, right? Why, wow, we got this thing launched, right? Now we can start actually seeing if this is something that will work. And, and are, are you full-time with this app now? Have you kind of left uh, your your other full-time thing? No, not yet. We're st- this, and this is the most controversial bit because, you, you know, you'll probably, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs will feel pressure that, hey, I can't get VC money if, if, I, if I'm not full-time on this. Well, I'll tell you, I've um, depleted my own 401k. I have taken out funds. I have got friends and family rounds. We put a lot of, you know, money, sweat, tears, happiness, everything into this. And I'm sure we're around the corner for uh, VC investment and I'll definitely go full time. But the, the, the thing that I would say is make rational decisions and make money decisions as if it's your own money. And if I can showcase that and scale my operation from an app to um, a SaaS product <laughs> that has already revenue before we've even launched then and a backlog of you know employers to help uh, across industries well then i think you can get there too i think there's the the lesson here is sometimes we're in such a hurry to validate our our product that we don't give our chance uh, give ourselves the chance to explore because i know money resources things like that are finite and yes it's cheap to make an app but it's still expensive if you're not you know 
from a lucrative background or you have great networks and things like that. So I think I've, I'm taking an approach that has maybe been identified as like the zebras or something like that, where it's like you're not taking VC funds and you're just home growing it kind of like a MailChimp story. I don't think we're necessarily that, but that's what it may look like so far. Mm. Well, I, I do think that there's, you know, I mean, at some point you might find yourself in a position of, of, you know, having to, to make that decision. Do you, do you scale it up? Do you go with, you know, do you go as a, as a main thing or is it always something kind of a, a side project? There's probably some benefits of it being uh, on the side, but also, you know, you're obviously putting a lot of resources, money and time into this thing, Yeah. but being able to not be a thousand percent sold down direction A. I mean, the fact that you've kind of now moved from, hey, is this really a consumer thing or is this someplace that's, you know, could be more valuable to business owners and in the workplace for them to have a relationship with their team or their employees' uh, wellness, both financial and 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 physical. Um, and, and that's a really cool place to be at, I think, is to have kind of started with something and then iterated and that not to, you know, not to oversell it or not to take on, you know, investors down an idea that you want to pivot to later. Cause that obviously would be a lot harder, right? You take, go take a few million dollars and say, oh yeah, we're going to build this thing over here. And then, you know, <laughs> and they'd be like, well, yeah. actually we want to go this direction, right? There, there's something definitely ethical, ethically questionable about that. And the other thing is it's a lot harder to, you know, startups are about hyper growth, right? But you can only do growth when, once you've got that product market fit, you've found that thing that you want. And a lot of the problems, the product that you're making for is not going to be bought by that same person necessarily. And that is the, that, that was the key for us to unlocking product market fit. And I'm not saying I have it hundred percent down, but there's, there's definitely signs that are saying like, ah, there's something here. People are interested. They're reaching out. Things are happening. And, and, you know, and it's in our, in our story, our narrative, uh, the sense of clarity, the features that you prioritize, all of that, uh, because there's enough oxygen for me to do this uh, and make uh, logical decisions because it's my own money I'm putting in. I've built the right processes, the right thinking methodology to do this in a way where I'm not uh, artificially forcing myself to go for that hyper growth before I've even figured it out. Oh, this has been uh, this has been a lot of fun. You know, we uh, I I uh, having somebody on that's been talking just to talk about the app development process, taking an idea from uh, from Spark to kind of problem solution fit into product market fit, and you know I, I think it sounds like you're kind of still in in that product market fit, maybe not ready to scale, but also I think the the subtext here of you know how can we create useful tools around mindfulness, wellness, and security within somebody's life? Or is there, are there new opportunities, new ways to think about things that maybe are, uh, are already in somebody's life in some way, but they're not working for the average person. So this has been really insightful. And, uh, and, and I just, I love your story. I love what you're doing. I think this app is going to be continue to be successful for you. Uh, are you ready for our lightning round? I'm ready. All right. What is the best advice you've ever received? Don't be anyone else. Which of your personal habits has contributed most to your success? The gratitude I express every morning. Can you share an internet resource, a tool, or app that's not your own that you think our listeners would find valuable? Uh, Notion. Uh, I love its journaling capabilities and just general organization tool. What book would you recommend and why? Mm, how to think fast and slow. 
Ah, uh, Daniel Kahneman. Yes, <laughs> uh, really good uh, behavioral science primer book. It'll get you deeper down a rabbit hole of more behavioral science books inevitably. <laughs> yeah, to say the least, right? You're going to be like, oh my yeah. gosh, what, what this whole world exists, right? But uh, yeah. awesome recommendation. One of my favorite books. So uh, very nice. Yeah. So if you guys are, uh, are on a run on the road and you want uh, links out, takeaways, things that came out of this episode, uh, references from Ohm, check it out at yougurus.com forward slash podcast. If you're listening to this the week of, you can find uh, Ohm's episode right there at the top. Click on that. And you're going to see a great page of resources from today's episode. That's yougurus.com forward slash podcast. Ohm, how can our audience find out more about you? And is there anything that you have that they can check out? Yeah, we just published our updated website. It's uh, squirrel.me. Uh, sqrl.me. You can download our app from there. Check it out. It's free to try. There's a one-time in-app purchase to upgrade if you'd like. If not, that's totally cool. We'll also have a blog pretty soon here at blog.squirrel.me, spelled the same way. And yeah, otherwise you can hit me up on Twitter. My handle is astromnot. I'm a big puns guy, so that's where that's from. And it's a, a zero, not a O. Yeah, or otherwise just uh, email me and hopefully we can link that on uh, the Yukuru site and uh, go from there. Yeah, and what's your what's your email? It's osutar at 84.co. It's E-I-G-H-T-Y and then the number 4.co. Awesome. Well, we will make sure that all those links, your email, your Twitter, links out to your app, are all included on that show notes page that I referenced earlier, that yougurus.com forward slash podcast. And, and real quick before we go, so squirrel, is it is it because you're kind of squirreling money away? Or is that, I didn't even ask you what was the the, the name from, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's actually just from the animal, you know, that kind of puts something aside uh, in the wintertime. It's kind of uh, uh, like a, a parallel pun for, you know, um, something that we used to be able to do in our, in our lives called living within our means. So that's kind of where that idea came from. Oh, that's so old fashioned. Ohm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's good. That's good. I love it. Awesome. Well, well, best of luck to you and your app and this process and journey that you're on. It's so cool to see somebody who's focused on, on a discipline that many agency owners might have their roots in or have teams that are doing UX, or they've thought of building out their own app of just hearing you do that. Take some of your, your, your main skill set from your main thing, your job, and then, and applying that to a side project, which sounds like it's catching some steam and, uh, uh, and, and, uh, and I know that this is going to be successful for you. So congrats on that. And thank you so much for being on our program today, Ohm. Thank you. I really enjoyed this. That's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. Thanks again for tuning in to the Digital Agency Show. Before we close out, I wanted to check in on your answer to my question from the beginning of the episode. Are you stressed out, cash crunched, fed up with your business? Now, if you feel this way, you might think that you have a lead generation problem. Maybe that it's the area you live in or that this market has gotten too competitive. Maybe you think that your business can't be turned around. And I want you to think again. In my many years of experience, I can tell you now it's something much deeper that you're likely not even aware of yet. It's like a client who says they need a website, Facebook ads, or a mobile app when they don't even realize it's a deeper challenge is blocking them from success. 
Now, if you'd like to find out what your deeper challenge is, then I want to invite you to apply for a strategy call where we're going to dig into those underlying issues in your business and get you moving forward like never before. The aha moments that you're going to have will shift the way you think forever and you'll finally get the answers as to why your business hasn't taken off. The number one most important decision to rapidly grow your business starts by booking your YouGurus strategy call today. Go to yougurus.com slash apply to start the application process for this free call. Once again, go to yougurus.com slash apply to get started. Thanks again for tuning in. Join us next week for another episode of the Digital Agency Show. 